Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Napa know-how. This month, Napa's got all kinds of motor oil deals that can save you some serious cash. Like a five-quart jug of Napa Full Synthetic Motor Oil for just $16.49. With savings like that, you may start feeling like a VIP. But don't let it go to your head. These oil deals are for everyone. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General states pricing. Sales prices not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 831.20. Tell your chico pit boomers to 305, but I said Mr. Worldwide. You already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at Negative to Positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken, and you know, that's fire. Now, Bobo, you know that you could get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on Negative to Positive, we're always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. The only problem is that then people would be at home and be like, I thought I knew her. Hello, everyone. It's time for a new episode of Collider Ladies Night. And this time around, I am lucky enough to have Rachel Lee Cook with us today. We are talking about her new movie, Love Guaranteed, which you can check out on Netflix on September 3rd. How are you doing? How is lockdown treating you? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you, Perry. Thank you so much for having me. It's so nice to meet you over Zoom, you know, 3,000 miles apart. This is crazy. But the nice part about my quarantine has actually been being able to meet people like you in this in this funny way and talk about something that's very near and dear to my heart. So truly, thank you. I, I really couldn't agree with that more. I feel like these these interviews, amongst other things, has been, you know, the key to keeping my spirits up through all this. I'm so happy to hear that. And Netflix movies. Yes. (laughs) I mean that wholeheartedly. So on Ladies Night, we go back to the very, very, very beginning. And I find that the question that I like to start with most often is, what movies and shows were you watching as a kid? And do you find that those movies and shows have influenced the roles that you tend to gravitate towards? Uh... I can think of a way in which a a movie that I loved early on influenced my viewing habits for years to come, but it's a little bit off topic with my roles. When I was a a kid, I don't know how old you are, but I'm I'm 40. It's fine. I'm cool with it. And one of my favorite movies was The Sound of Music. And my parents taped it off uh, TV because, of course, over, what, some episodes of Cheers or MASH or something probably. And I never thought much about the ending. I just thought it was a little bit abstract. I was like, oh, puppet show, but yeah, okay, whatever it is, what it is. Who doesn't love a puppet show? Good climactic ending. And then I went to watch it again at my friend Leah's house. Perry, the movie keeps going after the puppet show. The older brother goes to war. There's Nazis. My mind is blown. The movie keeps going. And so now every time I watch a movie, even for the second time, I'm like, maybe not. Maybe it's going to be different. 
That is hands down the most unique answer I've gotten to that question. That does sound like it ruined my life and my viewing habits. But in terms of like what I watched growing up and how do I love it now, I grew up with all the John Hughes movies. You know what I mean? Those were my favorites growing up. So that I fell into, you know, being so enamored with this genre and probably romanticizing love, sidebar. Um, I think that's how I ended up where I am. I'm like determined to go back in my VHS tape collection and see like where that actually happened in my life because it definitely did. Right? I guarantee you that happened to you. I, I feel like the problem is though most of us don't even have VHS players anymore. As we shouldn't. And if you do, you should probably be on porters. Um, so in this cabinet right behind me, is yeah. one of those gigantic, you know, that like the big deep box TVs with the VHS player built into it. And I refuse. I, I, I said about quarters. I take you I back. Know. Well, I didn't mean it like that. No, no, no. You you make a good point. It's no, 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 no. My, my excuse is stupid and rude, and I fully take it back. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I have no. I have a lot of that stuff. Where I mean, look at I'm in a room packed with things. Ooh, but look how that, it is, though. I know where everything is. You made a whole like shadow box of are those like. Movie tickets, movie tickets, yeah. movie tickets. Oh, it's, it's semi-organized. And to, and to be fair, it's not a bad point to make. I am in a childhood bubble right now because I decided to quarantine with my family in New York and I left my apartment in LA. So I am in a bubble of stuff right now. I feel great about this for you. I really <laughs> do. That, yeah, that ticket shadow box is Pinterest level good. Your parents are so glad that you're there. I feel like this was a great call. I'm not going to tell you how many uh, framed things I have of uh, movie tickets right now, because that's going to go down a different rabbit hole. Um, so <laughs> jumping into your experience or your first experiences on set, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I believe you started with print modeling work. And I was wondering if any of that prepared you for your very first time jumping on a film set. Any model who thinks that modeling prepared them for acting, and I'm allowed to say this because I, if you can count child, you know, child apparel wear for the target ads, like mo- modeling. If you think that modeling has prepared you for acting, you are sorely mistaken. <laughs> As evidenced by my work in my first movie, The Babysitter's Club. It looks like all of my experience was based on just wearing the clothes and showing up which is pretty much most of what I did. <laughs> that is not how I read the movie. But Thank you. Like it's I, a I great movie. I have nothing I could have done could have sunk that glorious ship, believe me. I do understand being self-critical, though, and you definitely see things I don't, but as a big fan of that movie growing up, I still adore it. Thank you. And I loved those books, and I could not believe I got cast in that movie. And honestly, if I hadn't gotten that role, I don't think we would be talking today, because I don't think I would have gotten anywhere. So I'm beyond grateful for the babysitter's club. What about just the vibe on that set and the collaborations you had there? Was there anything about that experience that now, looking back, makes you think, like, Thankfully, I had that first filmmaking experience on that set with those people. You know, I remember, I remember our director, Melanie Mayron, who is just one of the most incredible human beings you could ever want to meet, telling me when we got to, uh, when we got near, near wrapping on that film, she said, Rachel, if you keep working hard, you can do this. You'll stick around you know, sort of the equivalent of the, you got something kid kind of talk. And she would say that she would say kid. I love Mel. And I remember thinking, 
wow, that seems like a major vote of confidence. Melanie has and had a, an incredible resume even back then. And so I thought, okay, well, uh, it's pretty clear that I don't know very much and I have a lot of learning to do, but I, I, she seems like she's, you know, seen something. So I'm just going to pray that she's right, put my head down and try to just get better. And uh, I think from there I did. I, actually, have you seen the new Babysitter's Club, the series? Oh I cannot wait to see it. I've spoken with uh, Malia Baker, who is the smartest, coolest. You can tell she's talented, even just like incredible young actress. She is the Marianne that we need and deserve. Um, I have not seen it yet, however, because I want to watch it with my daughter. She's six and she has almost zero tolerance for anything that isn't animated. So I'm going to, I'm going to wait till she can rally to watch it with me so we can experience it together. But I'm very excited. I've heard it's an absolutely great uh, adaptation. Yes. All good things for that one. Um, I was going to move on to one of your next films, but actually before I even touch that, I'm curious in your mind, like what do you view as your big break as an actor, just in terms of, you know, a role that made you feel like now you carried a certain amount of weight on set and you had a certain amount of control over the trajectory of your career? That feeling like I had a degree of control over the trajectory of my career, that's been in fairly recent years, to be honest with you. I'd say from about 20, maybe 17 or so, when I started partnering up to produce things with Crown Media and the Hallmark Channel. Um, They've been incredible partners to me and so supportive and I love working in the feel-good space. You know, I, I spent many years trying to be cool and make edgy content that I thought would make people sort of stand up and take notice of me. But it wasn't until I sort of followed my my heart's desire and my true intention that I think I started uh, really to feel like I had greater control or a degree of say-so over the way my projects were going to go or actually even come to fruition. I hear I hear the Hallmark movies are especially short shooting schedules and also very, very efficient. So given your experience working in that realm, is there any part of the production process that you wish like Hollywood overall would kind of pay attention to to make their productions more efficient? Yeah, it's pretty terrifying when you go from having never worked uh, for them and on that schedule before to shooting, you know, sometimes nine and a half page days, but that dialogue is really not difficult compared to uh, procedural. That that was the probably the steepest learning curve for me was going into, uh, you know, cross-boarded, meaning shooting two episodes at once, uh, procedural television. That was incredibly difficult. But um, what people, you know, the lesson that they could definitely take from Hallmark movies is don't underestimate the fact that people need to feel good and to just have an outlet, a constant, you know, wellspring of positive uh, entertainment. Uh, don't ever underestimate the audience for that. I'm, I'm right in the pocket there. We, we need it. And also, yes, comma, it is possible to make a movie in 15 days. I've done it many times now. And I'm not saying it's responsible or optimal, but we do it. So you're welcome. Extremely impressed by that. (laughs) I'm getting ahead of myself to back up a little here. 
a two-parter for this one because I do know what the outcome wound up being. But I was very curious about your experience shooting the This Is Your Brain on Drugs PSA because for the, for the first part of this question here, from, from an outsider perspective, I look at something like that and I'm like, oh, like you just go in and get it done. It's not the same type of heavy lifting as making a film. But like that PSA, it requires, I think, what might have been a little more from you. So what was it like? kind of nailing that shoot and how did you approach it as an actor? First of all, I really appreciate that you picked up on that because something like a PSA isn't just walking in and making a more serious face and saying several lines and doing this and that. You really want to feel like you gave to the people who put weeks and, you know, maybe months of prep into making a thing. Uh, you just get to show up and sort of run the ball across the end zone or whatever sports metaphor analogies fits here. I'm so, so dumb about that. But, you know, it's, it's fun to be there, you know, for, for part of the, for part of completion, but I really feel a great sense of um, duty to the people who have put a lot into it. And it was really it was incredibly meaningful to me to be able to reprise my role in that PSA, given what history has taught us about structural racism, mass incarceration, and the ultimately uh, pretty uh, disastrous quote unquote war on drugs. Do you remember the time, like at, at what point after making the original PSA did that click for you? And then, I don't know, was there, was there any apprehension? Because it could be a scary situation to kind of step up and make that point, especially for such a well-known series of PSAs. So I don't know, did you have to build the courage to kind of put that out there and put your voice to it? This is one of the millions of Americans who uses drugs and won't get arrested. However, this American is several times more likely to be charged with a drug crime. Imagine it's you. The only reason I hesitated about saying yes to it immediately was that I wasn't as well educated as I could have been about um, what seemed to be the the impetus behind making it in the first place, which was, hey, we need to legalize cannabis in all forms, you know, in all 50 states, like right now. And I just didn't, I, I was just like, I, I don't have all of the information on this. You know what I mean? Like, why, why am I the... I didn't want to be the just say no to drugs, you know, girl, but I didn't want to have that spun into the say yes to weed girl thing. So I'm just, I'm, I'm not a weed person. <laughs> just the me and that just don't go together. So I, I felt reticent about joining the campaign for a moment, but then I remember, um, you know, hearing about Ava DuVernay's 13th and I saw that and it completely uh, bowled me over and taught me things that I was afraid I knew, but sort of, you know, really uh, communicated them in, in technicolor to me. And I was really glad to have been part of the piece, which we had just shot pretty recently. So I'm sorry, that's my very uh, long-winded answer on that. No, I, I think it's a good story to share because I think that a lot of people are in that position right now where, you know, they might have been misinformed on certain things before, and it can be hard to kind of, you know, maybe admit you're wrong and grow and try to find a new path to uh, discussing something. And like your little version of that right there is a pretty powerful one. No, I, I so appreciate that. And what's strange is that like 
yes, the, the original PSA was paid for by Partnership for a Drug-Free America and got splashed across the cover of newspapers all over the country of here is, you know, here's, I end up sort of the face of the war on drugs for a little while. But truthfully, the copy to that PSA reads, don't do heroin, which I think we can all agree is still a pretty non-controversial statement. <laughs> I, I will still, I will sit here right now and say, hey, uh, Perry, if you were thinking about it, maybe don't do heroin. <laughs> don't worry about that. I couldn't okay, be more cool. Worried. Good job. Also, you did <laughs> school. You're doing great. Good for you. In the worst transition in the world, let's go back to here. One of the movies I was most excited to ask you about because I was mildly obsessed with it growing up and I still watch it all the time now and I don't think it gets enough love is all I want to do. <gasps> I am so happy that you brought that up. Nobody talks to me about that movie. I was curious, what do you call it? Do you call it Strike or All I Want to Do? I love that you know all of this. Nobody knows this. Thank you. I- I'm going to go... I'm- even deeper cut here, I accidentally always call it the Harry Bird because oh, that, yeah, I forgot there was another one. <laughs> that was the title on the shooting script and the call sheet when we would go to work. I remember thinking like, don't know if this one's going to break the, the, the box office for that title, but hey, you never know. So um, yeah, but it was an incredible cast. I felt very lucky to have been a part of it because Kirsten Dunst and Gabby Hoffman were already completely slaying for many years at, at that point. And yeah, being the, the foil to their characters was incredibly fun and so satisfying. Did you learn anything from the two of them as far as being the person with like a whole lot of experience and working with a bunch of other people who are still building their resumes and just kind of, I don't know, how they, they set the tone on set in a way? I remember finding it absolutely uh, fascinating and wonderful and inspiring that Kirsten would have especially would have ideas about how she wanted to you know like what order she might want to shoot the scene in or have an idea about something to do I I was really just coming to set every day at that stage in my career just wanting to do whatever I thought my best version of the scene was I wasn't really adding much else to the equation at that point but she was just a much more seasoned actress and uh yeah I think that it it, it took a year (laughs) year probably several years for me to try to pick up any of that myself but yeah she was a force to be reckoned with even back then I always like asking this question because I know it can be scary when you're first starting out to ask what you might think is a silly question about the way a production works but looking back is there anything that you kind of wish you had the nerve to ask about the way you shoot a movie uh man there are there are a million terms that you learn very quickly on set, uh, you know, that you don't know as a quote unquote layman, you know, or civilian from the the, the movie industry. And I don't like those sort of exclusionary um, titles, but yeah, there, there are still things that, um, that I learn every day, like the new slang uh, for, for, for what something is. I, I learned one the other day when I was on set in one in Wisconsin. Someone said, oh man, we got the Abe Lincoln coming up. And I was like, what, what, what's that? It's like when you think you're done, but it's the shot you didn't see coming. Huh. Oh, I- <laughs> That's terrible. <gasps> yeah. Um, I, I imagine those types of shots come up 
often. I never heard that term. Applied. I hadn't yet. That was my first, that was my first time, you know, it, you know, you're just like, what, what the what? Like I thought I'd been in the business a while. Um, so yeah, just, just little th- like little terminology, little slang things are, are a fun sort of inside baseball part of the business. But yeah, it took me a really long time to uh, pick up on fully. So I, I'd like to bet you're going to know what I'm going to ask you about next. I don't. What are you going to ask me about Perry? I'm dying over here. Is, is She's All That still oh. the movie that you're approached about more often? Oh, yeah. Or is that just because of, I, I don't know, like I grew up in the 90s and like that, like I loved All I Want to Do, but like She's All That was just, that, that's a movie that set the bar for me as far as romantic comedies go. First of all, I appreciate that immensely. Uh, you know, th- truly. Just thank you for, for for liking that movie so many years ago and for bringing it up now. Um, that movie definitely did the most, uh, I guess you could say, for my career, quote unquote. Um, it was strange because when I would do press for that movie immediately following it, people would say, wow, aren't you so excited that you got to be in a movie? And aren't you so uh, can you even believe it? And I think in my very sort of jerk face way of being like, you know, not, not like my very sort of insolent teenage way. Um, I always wanted to correct them and say, I, I think I've been, you know, it's true. I was in about, I want to say probably seven movies before that. And so believe me, it, you can't necessarily tell from my work, but I was really experienced at that time, but that was the movie that, thoroughly moved the needle in terms of uh, the roles that I was going to be offered. I would definitely believe that. (laughs) I wanted to ask you a little bit about working with Freddie on that because he, he is just like the coolest, kindest person in the world, but in particular talk to him. So I'm, I'm so glad you know all that already. He's, he's, he's come into our studio in Burbank a few times and he's just like always like, I don't know, just got the best attitude. He's super enthusiastic. But he, he talks about Star Wars stuff with us. Yes. Oh, just, with anyone. He'll talk about Star Wars stuff with me who doesn't know what he's talking about. Like, he's legit. He really knows his shit, and it's very impressive. <laughs> what would you say, though, is it about him as the scene partner for you while shooting that, that, I don't know, made you kind of, like, value that quality in other people that you have to act opposite in movies? The reason that I I think that that I credit that movie with with working in so many ways is Freddie. There's there's a purity to him as a leading man that uh, I don't think I've seen equaled in a lot of ways since, um, or probably in any way really. He just doesn't have any belief that he's a charming person. He just desires to be an honest person. And that is its own charm in a million ways that just work from sunup to sundown. There's, there's no replacing that. It's just the most, um, it, it's just the, it, it's an incredibly stirring thing and real thing. And they don't make a lot of leading men like that. I, I just really appreciated him as a person and as an, and as an actor for that. I also wanted to ask you about a very specific, I always like focusing on specific scenes. And with this one, I can focus on a very specific line of dialogue that I think plays especially well. My bet? My bet? Am I a fucking bet? Yes. So even when I rewatched the movie today, 
the delivery of that line like still feels like daggers to me. Like I could feel how it affects him. So in that moment on set, is that something where, I don't know, you're, you're getting as specific as like perfecting the intonation of a line like that, or does it kind of naturally come to you in the moment? I, I love telling the story about Freddie and about filming that moment because it says so much about his character. And it's one of my, it was now so long ago, I don't have a ton of vivid memories from that shoot, but I will never forget that I'm not positive it completely landed with Freddie until we went to film that scene. The implications and the, you know, every pun intended, cruel intentions of what his character in the movie had done when he placed that bat and that someone, you know, a fictional someone granted was tremendously uh, wounded by it. it. It all sort of hit him at once. And I don't credit my performance with that, delivering that one line, but I will never forget his reaction to it. He almost seemed horrified that someone had even come up with that storyline. He was clearly just overcome with almost hating himself as the character for having done it. He took a moment and like teared up. And I remember Rob, the director talking to him and being like, use it, use it. It's okay. And it was just so powerful and real. And that's Freddie's heart. And that's, that's just who he is. So if, if the movie works, that's because of him. You can read that on his reaction shot there. A a general question about, you know, teen romantic comedies in the nineties. So you are part of one of the biggest of the big, but I like looking at those lists and I love everything in that batch. Is there any other teen romantic comedy that came out in the nineties that you watch all the time? That I watch all the time. Um, I'm a sucker for the old John Hughes ones. I don't mean to sound like a purist, you know what I mean? But like, let me think, like, have I seen 10 things and, uh, Varsity Blues, and that's not technically wrong, but it kind of was. Uh, which other ones were there? Help me. My my two go-to, in addition to She's All That, are 10 Things I Hate About You, and I was also very, very into Can't Hardly Wait. I love that movie. That's our directors and writers of Josie and the Pussycats. I love that movie. I actually went in for that movie, and uh, apparently that's how they end up casting me and Josie was off of that because they had already, I went into the Love Hewitt part. She was already in negotiations. I think I was brought in as a backup meeting. But luckily they remembered me from that. I love Can't Hardly Wait. That's, I think, I think maybe that's the best one of that era. And it's a little bit outside of that era. It was years later, but I have a major soft spot for that movie, She's the Man. It's hilarious. <laughs> that, there's a movie that doesn't get enough credit. People do not talk about Thank She's you. the Man nearly enough. <laughs> People have been sleeping on She's the Man. It's it's so funny. I'm also yeah. going to tell you, I might have a Can't Hardly Wait CD off yeah. to the side right now, but I'll, <laughs> even though I have the VHS player, I don't have a CD player to play it. Oh my God. It's like no no laptops even you have uh, disk drives. You to get a, come on. Can you, do PS3s play? No, they don't. Oh, I don't know. No, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know either. My, my poor <laughs> PS4 is like sitting unused in LA right now anyway. You already brought up Josie and the Pussycats, so I'll go there next. Yes, please. Um, I guess I guess let's start with like the harder part. So you pour all that time into that movie, and then I know like you're an actor. There's only so much that's in your control once it's finished and it's sent out to the world. But then it doesn't do well at the box office. How how do you process that? And how do you kind of I don't know not get bogged down by the negativity that comes with that? 
Well, what's great about being 20, who's basically a teenager, when something like that happens is that no one really explains to you that it's not just not great news. It's news that's going to continue to affect you in a very real way for a long time. And truthfully, only time can kind of show you that. So I understand why no one wanted to raise their hand and be like, this is not good for sure. (laughs) But it was not. Like, uh, we all sort of went to what's in the industry called movie jail for that box office quote-unquote failing. And it took many years for people to uh, get that movie. And I'm I'm just glad that we made something that I'm still proud of. And I have, uh, you know, it, it was a little bit of a bumpy road onward from that, but... I don't know. We have something great to show from it. And we're talking now about a movie that I really love. So I guess it all turned out the way it was supposed to be. That I love the positive spin. That's one thing that my brain, I don't know, like it makes me frustrated to try to compute it with how many credits one individual can have to their name that that one specific thing can derail them. Even when like, think about how many people go into making a movie and how many factors dictate how it can do at the box office. It's just, that always bugs me. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. And that's what's kind of wonderful about, you know, all of these streaming platforms is that things that we weren't going to rally to go, that most of us wouldn't rally to go see in a theater, uh, we're now checking out. And yeah, I think that the the democratization, as it were, of, of entertainment in that sense is, is going to be helpful to all of our viewing habits, I hope. One more question about this one for you. So mm-hmm. it had a happy ending because it's a cult classic. <laughs> Given the industry's uh, interest in reviving and rebooting and remaking things, have you guys ever seriously considered, you know, whether it's, I don't know, for a streaming platform in the series format, reviving those roles and, and doing it again? Well, I've been on, I've been on the other side of remakes. I was in the remake of a movie called Get Carter that let's just say there were no, there were no, there's no great outcry to remake that movie. And we did, and it was a very new spin and it was cool. It was a great experience and a great role for me, but it's, I think it's a little bit difficult to do sometimes, but if they do, decide to make that and revive that, I would love to be uh, supportive of it. They've already brought back the characters of Josie in Riverdale. And, you know, I've now seen uh, Babysitter's Club as a, you know, as the take on this reboot in this franchise. I would not be surprised if um, She's All That gets gets another time in the sun in one way or another. I, I would, I, I hope it does. I think it's a charming story. And, um, yeah, that's, that's all I know. As precious as I am about it, I would believe that could happen and I would <laughs> welcome it. <laughs> Excellent. Before we move into Love Guaranteed, I have one more like broader question for you. Please. Of all the incredible actors you've worked with over the years, who would you say challenged you most on set for the better? Because I know you must have your own process, but everybody brings something else to the table. So who kind of, you know, Isn't brought it? something out of you that you didn't know was there? I am so blown away that you are the first journalist in my entire career to ask me that. Ever. And now, unfortunately, because it was an incredibly unique question, I don't know. Let me think. Let me think. Who really brought something else out of me? Everyone brings something else out of you in one way or another. Um, 
Melanie Mayron on the set of Babysitter's Club really just sort of telling me, you got a lot to learn, kid, was the one who sort of goosed me in terms of like, good job and everything, but like, you got a ways to go. But in terms of the actors, I don't know, I would say that the person who I would credit the most with just playing showing me where the bar is in terms of how prepared you need to be how good you need to be when they say action, how uh, kind you can be to absolutely everyone around you. It was just the pinnacle of here's what a professional is, is Eric McCormick. We did perception together for those three seasons. That guy is just a clinic in how to be a brilliant actor, a total professional, and just a stellar human. Don't know how he does it. I love that. So now love guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Really? What was it about... I guess the story or maybe specifically what it has to say about online dating that didn't want, that didn't make you just want to jump in as an actor, but also as a producer. Well, I just, I always want to be incredibly careful not to sound like I deserve any credit for how great the script is because I did not write that. I I might've, you know, tacked in a couple lines here and there, but I did not write one word of the script. Liz Hackett and Hillary Gallinoy are incredible writing team wrote the whole script. I was big fans of theirs from Twitter already and so happy that they wanted to take on the concept that I actually thought of and pitched to them. And then together we pitched uh, their, you know, four page very intensive treatment to Netflix. Very long, but not that long story, incredibly short. We were filming after they bit about uh, eight months later. It's completely insane how fast the process happened. Yeah. That is, that is wild. So Did the three of you as a team specifically say, like, Netflix is the right home for this movie? We, I I had taken a general meeting with Netflix, um, just with their, uh, it's called their Independent Features Division. And the the subdivision of of that division is what I would say, uh, movies in this rom-com ilk. And they in a very generous way at the end of the meeting said, we're interested in working with you. And I was completely flattered and almost flabbergasted, but I said I would absolutely be honored. And they were like, do you have anything they, they said? And he just saying like, they said, is there anything in particular that, you know, has uh, struck your fancy of late? Be it something you've read or, or whatnot. And I said, I have some ideas rattling around and I pitched this concept very loosely to them along with two others. And they said, definitely that one, flesh that out and come back to us with something. And so that's when my manager reached out to the team of Hackett Gallinoy. They rounded out the world entirely in ways that I never could have thought of, made it great, made it so sharp and clever and funny, uh, just even in treatment form. And we pitched it together to Netflix and then before we knew it, we were off to the races. How about uh, adding Mark Steven Johnson to the equation? Because I know he did, uh, I know he did when in Rome, but I feel like it is less likely to see someone with so much experience in I guess, superhero and action movies also be able to direct a romantic comedy. So what was oh, it yeah. like working with him? Yeah, Mark, first of all, I, I think what qualifies Mark beyond the fact that he's, you know, obviously an excellent and an accomplished director is, man, he's just incredibly positive and funny and a true romantic at heart. You'd be hard pressed to find another human as uh, as, as soft hearted and as open as he is. 
He's just a stellar human. I actually met Mark at the very first premiere I ever went to in California. He, um, he wrote the script at 26, years, at 26 years old for Grumpy Old Man. Can you believe it? And I was introduced to him at that premiere in like 1995. And so funny enough, when his name showed up on this list, I went to the meeting and he said, nice to meet you. And I said, funny story. <laughs> we have met before. This is very random and off topic, but what is it like for you to see how premieres have changed over the years? Because sometimes when I'm prepping for these interviews, I'll like scroll through IMDb photos and uh-huh. the, like, the official photos taken on red carpets nowadays are completely different to what it was like back then. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I would not even know where to begin. Uh, yeah, the, the mob of, you know, people with, you know, the, yeah, the mob of flashbulbs and cameras and all of that old school, you know, paparazzi kind of not feeling, but that, that way is still occasionally real, but it, it's so much more sort of like organized and spaced out and sort of controlled now. It, it, it's kind of wild. All I know is that I'm still doing it wrong all these years later. You're still doing it wrong? I'm still doing it wrong. Why? I just, I always feel like I can't see. So someone told me like, look down and then slowly look up, but I'll be darned if I don't feel my eyes go across like every time. And, like, you're supposed to organize your feet in a certain way so it, like, poses the outfit right. I never get the feet right. I don't know. Whenever I do a video where I'm standing, all you'll see is me, like, going like that the whole time because I still, after all these years, don't know what to do with my hands. You're Alec Baldwin. You're like, what do I do with my hands? Exactly what I'm doing. So when you're on set of Love Guaranteed and you do a take, Who is the first person you look to, to kind of give you that confidence that you nailed the tape? Do you look at Mark, Damon, do you feel it yourself? Who gives you that kind of like nod of approval? The first line of, did I like that? I definitely feel within myself. I defer mostly in terms of, if I feel like I didn't get it, I will look to the person who was in the scene with me as if to say, help, they're moving on. Do I need to make a stink and do another one? And usually the other actor will will tell like, no, I don't worry, you got it. Or I like the last one better, but we have it. You know, like we we know how to check each other and keep each other sort of up. Um, Mark is incredibly positive. And whenever you're first working with the director, you, the problem is that they don't direct you because they don't know if you can do any better. (laughs) So part of them is like, oh no, I'm going to spend the first week, you know, building up their confidence and they don't really give you much because they just want you to feel comfortable. That week's a little bit nerve wracking. Um, I worked for a director one time who I remember said with every actor, no matter how bad they are, he goes up to them and he goes, that was great this time. And all actors, as soon as they just hear great, their shoulders drop and they're receptive. And so if I ever direct something, I I will be saying that quite a bit. I feel like, like any boss or leader in any kind of profession could actually use that to theirs and their employees benefit to just like encourage them. You know, I'm going to remember that. <laughs> actually, speaking of professions, this is another thing that I'm, I'm hung up on often in movies. It's hard, it's hard enough to be a professional anything, but when you're an actor trying to play a professional lawyer, mm-hmm. I mean, how hard is that? And then a second, second part to this one 
if you got the opportunity to learn about any other profession out there through a character, what would the profession be and why? Well, I can't believe I was lucky enough to be cast as an actual rock star. That's kind of beyond. That's anyone's, you know, childhood bedroom singing into something fantasy, right? Um, but wow, if I could pretend to be something else... Yeah, it's a tough one, Perry. I can't think about it. I was lucky enough to play a vintner in three Hallmark movies that I did. That was a lot of good on-the-job training, let me tell you. That was, I did my research, put it that way. Um, This one, though, playing a lawyer, I just, I have this weird thing that I'm sure you do, too, that a lot of us do, where you get this imposter syndrome about being a grown-up sometimes. (laughs) And, like, I, I, remember, I just, I remember thinking to myself, gotta make sure that this is believable. Definitely do the serious voice, square yourself, say the thing, sound like you know what you're talking about. Really law- lawyer voice. They must not know that you're the strange, very small, very silly person that you are. You gotta fool them. And then I remember watching the movie and just going, I think I'm trying a little bit too hard to adult in this. Like my face, I'm, I have a grown-up's face. I don't have to pretend anymore. This is ridiculous. Just go out there and wear your face and say the things, Rachel. Just like take it down. It suits how she approaches her work, though. I agree. And that's why I don't think it will get me in trouble for doing that. I'm also mighty jealous of of her living situation, living right next door to her sister. I think that's like my my lifelong dream. Like I know I will be a success when I can live next door to my sister. Side by side, side by side, yeah, townhouses in Seattle, come on. I feel like you jumped a little bit too far. <laughs> yeah. I don't I know that. Did that and then one step further. <laughs> so there's there's that. And one other little detail. And I feel like you guys had a missed opportunity here. Oh, no. The the song in the car should have been Kiss Me. Like, it just follows you everywhere. Or is that too much? It does. (laughs) The only problem is that then people would be at home and be like, I thought I knew her. Oh, oh, it's that one. I, I thought she was familiar. I couldn't figure out why. That's, I think, why we couldn't do that. It happened to me again that they played at CBS the other day. What's going on? I don't know what kind of exclusive deal they have with, with drugstores. Admittedly, whenever I hear the song, I make the She's All That connection. <laughs> so before I lose you here, we always Wait. like to end ladies' night with some rapid-fire-ish random questions. So Ooh, love it. never write these down. I always go with the first thing that comes to my mind. Okay. If you could only eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? M- macaroni and cheese. Because macaroni and cheese. I respect that answer. (laughs) If you could only watch one movie over and over for the rest of your life, what would it be? My favorite movie is Peter Sellers being there. Like, I catch something new every time. I have a different favorite line every time. I love the beautifully sort of obscure nature of of the ending. I just, everything about that movie, I I just kind of love. This is a mighty solid choice. (laughs) How about, do you collect anything? Let me see. I, uh, when I was a kid, I used to collect things as a sort of mild OCD kind of moment. I have a decent collection. They're not right here, but of uh, older books. Ah. 
I just, I don't read them. Let's be real. As long as we're being real with each other, I do not. But they're there and they just make me feel good. I appreciate how they're color coded up there too. I love Pinterest. <laughs> I'm like a little OCD, neat and organized and I need everything in its place. So that's yes. to me. Yes. Do you have any wardrobe or props from any of the movies you made? Hmm. I stole the shoes off the pilot that I just filmed. They are fantastic. It's hard to find <laughs> shoes in my size. I have very small feet. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I had my lawyer throw it in my deal for Josie and the Pussycats that I got to keep all those outfits because what kind of psychopath is going out in any of those stage costumes? Not me, but I have them. I have them in a box. Yeah. I'm nice and neat and organized, but I'm also extremely sentimental. So I feel like that's why that speaks to me. It's like that, that TV I only have because it's a gift from my Nana and my Poppy. That's the only reason I keep it they though. They wanted you to have it. They know that TV. Exactly. They knew that you were excited to have it. I, I'm, I support this. <laughs> I love that. Well, and on a serious one, because I tend to like to end on this one. Okay. What is the biggest fear that you've had that you actually managed to overcome? What's yours while I think of it? I feel like part of the reason why I asked this question is because I'm fishing for someone to give me the answer to overcoming my fear of the dentist or of bees. I don't know. Neither of those things are great. I'm not going to be able to help you. <laughs> um... The best piece of advice that anyone ever gave me, honestly, about fear, and this will not help you with the dentist or bees <laughs> at all, I uh, actually um, came from my now ex-husband. I used to have tremendous audition anxiety. Just, you know, it, like, I, I don't know how else to put it. You can, knowing that you're going somewhere with a specific purpose of being judged and having people look at you it is awful it is terrifying it just it gave me all kinds of um fear and feelings of not being good enough and all of this stuff and he said and I said oh my god I'm worried about going on this audition I'm just worried that I'm gonna be really bad and I just get so nervous I just get so nervous and he goes you're not scared you just care Stop being so mean to yourself for the fact that you care this much. And I was just like, he's right. Like, I just, oh, I'm sorry. I give a shit. (laughs) And maybe that's a good thing, even if it doesn't yield the exact results that I want. It's it's judging it from a more loving place. So, yeah, maybe if you can say to yourself, I'm not afraid. I just care. I actually say that to myself all the time. Good. Good for you. Excellent advice, especially when you're in a career that you are so deeply passionate about the craft, and especially when you're an actor and you have to pour so much of yourself into a production and a role. I mean, I don't, I don't even think we talk about that nearly enough, what it takes out of you. I so appreciate that, for real. Oh, wait, I have one thing about the bees. Are you allergic to bees? No, I'm not. <laughs> okay, well, then the only thing I can say is I did get stung last week. And it's not as bad as you remember. It's okay. really not. I feel like deep down I know it's not that bad, but there's something about like a thing that I can't control that's flying around with like a little needle on its butt ready to poke me that, I don't know, <laughs> like I can't act like an adult. I just up and run away. 
<laughs> one day I'll figure it out. When I figure out the solution to my B problem, I'll uh, keep you posted and let you know. <laughs> Thank you so much for hanging Thank out. No, I, I so appreciate it. Thank you for sharing as well. Thank you for great questions. And uh, yeah, good luck editing this into something coherent. I appreciate you. Get all the quality parts you need at your locally owned Napa. Because right now, when you order from Napa online, you can pick up curbside at your local store in just 30 minutes. Or get your order delivered direct to your door with free one-day shipping and over 160,000 quality parts when you spend $35 or more. Quality parts delivered quickly and safely. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating stores, standard ground shipping and exclusions apply. It's that little Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.